one of my favorite Looney Tunes episodes. Actually, it was a movie. And I've you you know it you know it okay so I've I've seen this a ton I've seen it over and over again. But it's a movie, and in one part of the movie, uh, Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny they were best friends. I guess sometimes they were fighting, but they were good friends. And they were on their way to Pismal Beach, and they were traveling underground, and they took a wrong turn on Albuquerque. And when they came up out of the ground, they were in this dark cave. Well, Bugs Bunny is busy trying to figure out what went wrong. He's looking at the map, trying to figure it all out. And meanwhile, Daffy Duck's eyes are about this big. And what Bugs Bunny doesn't realize is that there is a huge treasure that they have stumbled upon in the cave. It's full of gold and diamonds and and pearls. And Daffy Duck, immediately he begins salivating. And then he jumps up in the air and he starts pounding Bugs Bunny into the ground with his feet saying, mine, 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 down, 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 go, go, go. It all belongs to me. I'm rich. I'm rich, you hear? It's all mine, mine, mine. Ever since then, every time I think about about greediness or selfishness, I always think about Daffy Duck. I always think about this, this episode. It's an attitude that changes us. It's, it's, it's an attitude that, that, that can take over, right? Greed can. It destroys us from the inside out. You don't have to strike it rich in order to have a Daffy Duck-type attitude. Greediness is a mentality. It's a mentality. Right? It doesn't matter how much money you have. You can have very little money and be very greedy. You can worship, uh, you can worship money. Daffy was salivating over something that wasn't even his in the first place. It belonged to neither one of them. But what do we? What do we own? You know, we say, we look at our, our money, we say it's mine. We look at our houses, we say it's mine. We look at our children, we say, belongs to me, it's mine. We look at our bodies, our own selves, and we say, it's, it's mine. Look what the Bible says, Psalm 24.1. It says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. So what is that? It's everything, right? The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. So the whole earth belongs to God. God owns and we manage. God, thank you for your precious word. Lord, I just ask that you would give us ears to hear this morning, open our hearts to to receive that which you have for us. May your word not return void, but may it accomplish that which you've sent it out to do. Now Jesus talks about the three servants and their master. Their master had uh, left them various uh, amounts of of talents. And that's not talking about our our skills, right, or our gifts. It, it, It was a form of money. That's where we get, when we think of skills, we get that from the word talent from the Bible but it was, it was uh, various amounts of money. One had received five talents, the other had received two talents, and the last man, he had received one talent. The one with the five talents, he went and invested his money, and he made more. So when his master came back, he was very pleased with this, with this servant for investing that which had been given to him. 
the second one with the two talents, he did the same thing. He took those two talents and he invested it and he made more money for his master and he came back to him and the master was very pleased with him. Well, the one with the one talent, he takes and he buries it and he doesn't invest it. And the master is very displeased with him, not because he had one talent, not because he had very little, but it was because of what he did with it. God owns and we manage. We are stewards of that which God has given to us. So our money belongs to God, and we are stewards of our finances. This is the one sermon I don't talk a lot about money um, in this church. Some have even voiced that they're very appreciative that I don't hammer home money all the time. So this is the one sermon that I preach about once a year. This is the money sermon. So for some of you, when you hear this sermon, you're going to feel relief. And at times you may feel relief, and other times you're going to be challenged. As we're going to see, these these things, uh, our finances, along with everything that God gives us, when God looks at us as stewards, this is very important to God, and he talks about it throughout uh, the scriptures. Our money belongs to God, and we are stewards of it. Jesus implies this when he says in uh, Luke chapter 16, he says, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? So how we steward, it matters. Jesus says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys nor whether, uh, where neither moth nor rust destroys, sorry, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. So, in other words, that which you value in life, in money or anything else, that which you value is where you're going to be invested, is where your heart's going to be invested. You want to know your values? It's where you're invested. You don't just say, oh, I value this, I value this. No, take, take a list of your actions. <laughs> take inventory of what you do, where you spend your time, where you spend your money, and those are the things that you value in life. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Paul says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Jesus says, nope, guess we don't have that one. Oh, Jesus did say something, Stuart. (laughs) I'm sorry, but Jesus has more to say. He says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Says you can't serve God and money. What does that mean? If if God is your devotion, if He is the one you serve, everything else in life will funnel through that. That'll be the lenses in which, because life is good, right? Even our money, it's good. Our finances is good. God gives us those things to bless 
to bless us and for us to use, right? And so our finances and everything else, if we have on our God lenses and he is our master and we serve him alone, everything else will filter and everything else will find its place. That's why we say even in marriages, put God first. And man, you'll love your wife and your children more than you ever could otherwise. But if, if you allow money, which, which like anger, you know how anger is, it's, it's an emotion that I believe is given from God, but it has power over us, right? It's, it's, it's magnetic. It can easily, we can easily lose control to anger, right? And it can rule over us. Money's the same way. Money is a gift that God has given us, but it has, it has power. It has lure. It can, can take control of our lives. It's magnetic, if we allow money to take control, it can rule us. And when it does, it has such lure and power, it will take us away from God. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love their one. Well, I don't hate God. Remember, you, you, you reveal what you value by your actions, by what you do. No one can serve two masters, for either he's going to hate the one or love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Can't serve God in money. It's not saying that money is evil itself. It's saying you can't serve both. Money is something that you rule over. It doesn't rule over you. So we serve God. And money is one way that we, that we serve him. When we give to others... As in Matthew 25, it's, it's like, we, like we serve Jesus. We minister to Jesus. We give to Jesus. And when we give in the church, we say this every time we, we pray over our offering. It's, it's an act of, not only is it an act of worship, we give as an act of worship because we realize that everything we have comes from God, and so we worship him through our finances when we give back. It's an act of mission because we realize as the church we are we are um, spreading God's gospel and his kingdom in the world. And it's an act of gratitude for the things. It's, it, it's thankfulness for the things that God has, has given us. So what exactly does it look like as it pertains to the church? Because there has been a lot of confusion on both sides of the coin. No pun intended. Stan Newton points out that in one abuse, he says there's threats of all kinds that are spoken over uh, those not in compliance with the tithe. You're in need of healing, then give an offering in the exact amount the preacher tells you. You want your mortgage page, then give, give a large sum to the traveling evangelist. The list goes on and on. We're very aware, I think, of, of the abuses in the church. TV evangelists, or even in your local uh, church, churches, uh, there is abuse over tithes and offering, over money and over finances. A lot of people have been turned off by this. But the other abuse goes like this. We see Christians, he says, spending on lavish entertainment, dinners, vacations, clothes, whatever they desire while giving little or nothing to advance the kingdom of God. The tithe is the old covenant, is their cry. 
Yet as far as their giving goes, there's little regard for the hardworking pastor. He said it, not me. This is a quote. Needs of the local church, traveling ministry, ministry uh, missionaries, or caring for the poor. So he's talking about things, vacations, entertainment, dinner, clothes, things that aren't bad. But again, when money rules over you, you spend it on all of these things, whatever your heart desires, but you don't care for people. You don't use it for God's kingdom. That's the sway that money can have over even the Christian. So is the tithe biblical? The word tithe means tenth. That's what it means. It's a tenth. So when somebody, if somebody says I'm tithing and they're giving 5% or 20%, it's not a tithe. <laughs> so people, you know, it's become a word we just use for giving to the church. Oh, I tithe. But if it's not, if, if, if it's not a 10%, you can't use, you really probably shouldn't use the word tithe. If you're giving 10%, you can say, oh, I'm, I'm tithing. Actually, if you're giving 10% to anything, you say I'm tithing. You know, I'm giving I'm giving 10%, but if you're giving 3%, you're not tithing, but I'm going to go ahead and say if you're giving 20% or 50%, that's not a tithe. Not a tithe either. Tithe simply means tenth. There's three types of Old Testament tithes that were commanded in the Law of Moses. Can you go to the next slide for me? Thank you. There's... The Levitical tithe, there's the festival tithe, and there's the poor tithe. Let's look at each one briefly. If you want to follow along with me, because I'm not going to have this up on the screen. If not, you can listen. But the first place we arrive at the tithe is in Numbers chapter 18. And in verse 21, it reads like this. To the Levites... I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance. So when God took the Israelites into the promised land, he divided them up and gave them each land. But the Levites, they were going to be the ones that were the ministers in the tabernacle and the temple, right? And that's where the priestly family, they were a part of the, the Levites. So they were to take care of things pertaining to the tabernacle and the temple. So they didn't have an inheritance. What, what, the way that they lived were, was from the tithe, from what the other uh, nations gave. And they each had a, 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 they were divided up among the different tribes to, to live. So they were provided for by the rest of Israel. So this is what the Levitical tithe was all about. To the Levites, to this tribe who ministers in the tabernacle and then eventually the temple, God says, I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance and returned for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting so that the people of Israel do not come near to the tent of meeting lest they bear sin and die. But the Levites shall do the service in the tent of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. So they ministered on the behalf of people to God. They were the priests. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations and among the people of Israel. They shall have no inheritance. The Levites didn't. For the tithe, the tenth of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore, I have said to them that they shall have no inheritance among the people of Israel. Verse 25, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Moreover, 
You shall not speak and say, you shall rather speak and say to the Levites, when you take from the people of Israel the tithe that I have given you from them for your inheritance, then you shall present a contribution from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. What he's saying is the people of Israel are to take a tenth of their produce and they're to give it to the Levites. Now, the Levites were to take the best tenth of that tenth and they were to bring it to the storehouse, into the the temple, for whoever was on duty and the high priest, the high priest and all the priests that were on duty, that was to be theirs as they worked in the temple. For your contribution... For your contribution shall be counted to you as though it were the grain of the threshing floor and as the fullness of the winepress. So you shall also present a contribution to the Lord from all your tithes, Levites, which you receive from the people of Israel. And from it you shall give the Lord's contribution to Aaron the priest. Out of all the gifts to you that were given to you, all the tithes that were given to you, you shall present every contribution due to the Lord, a tenth of a tenth. From each, its best part is to be dedicated. See, this is why in, in Malachi, God was actually not coming down the people of Israel. He was coming down the Levites because they weren't bringing the best tenth of the tenth to the storehouse. Therefore, you shall say to them, when you have offered from it the best of it, then the rest shall be counted to the Levites as produce of the threshing floor and as produce of the wine press. And you may eat of it in any place, you and your households, for it is, <clears throat> it is your reward in return for the service and the tent of meeting. And you shall bear no sin by reason of it when you have contributed the best of it. But you shall not profane, profane the holy things of the people of Israel, lest you die. Again, Israel would take a tenth, and they would give it to the Levites, and the Levites would take the best tenth of that tenth and bring it to the storehouse for the priests. Does that make sense? Yep. The next is the festival tithe. There's a second tithe. Go to Deuteronomy 14. Check this out. Deuteronomy chapter 14, starting in verse 22. I'm going to read down to 27. God says, You shall tithe, give a 10% of all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. So basically, they haven't founded Jerusalem as the place, as the meeting place, and the temple hasn't been set up there. So he's saying when that happens, you know, wherever the tabernacle is and then wherever the temple is going to be, this is where you're going to take this, this tithe, all right? And he says, there you shall eat of it. You're actually eating of your tithe. You're eating of your tenth, the produce and the, and the livestock that you're bringing. You're going, to, you're going to eat it. You're going to have a feast. He's saying you're going to have a party for the, to the glory of, of God. And if the way is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there. So if you, can't, if you can't afford, or there's no way you can bring all of your livestock and all your grain, then you shall turn it into money, trade it in for money, 
And he says, take the money, bind up the money in your hand and go to the place. So you go to Jerusalem, you go to the temple that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money there for whatever your desire, oxen or sheep, wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your town. So they, they don't have anything. So you need to provide for them for this party too. For he has no portion or inheritance with you. Isn't that cool? How many of y'all have ever heard about the tithe where you have a party? To the glory of God. Right there, if you want to mark in your notes, Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 27. There's your party tithe. We call it the festival tithe. Then there's the poor tithe. Let's go to the next verse. Verse 28. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, remember, you always got to provide for those guys, right? The ministers and the temple. And the sojourner, right? The, those who, the stranger, the traveler, depending on your, your, um, your translation. The fatherless and the widow, those who are in need, those who are missing something. You know, they're missing dads, they're missing husbands, they're missing their home. You provide for those people who are within your towns, shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. So if we're to follow what the Bible says about the tithe, there's actually three tithes. So instead of giving 10%, we need to give 23.3%. Because you got 10% in the Levitical tithe, right? And that's the one that people hammer home. That's the one they hammer home is, is the Levitical tithe. You need to give 10%. If you don't, you're under a curse. Then you need to give 10% to the festival tithe. And then every third year, you need to you know, give a 10% to the, to the poor and needy or 3% year by year to the poor and needy. And actually, on the seventh year, it's the year of Jubilee, so you don't give anything. So actually, I think it's about 20%. Maybe you bring it, bring it back down. So we'll say, we'll say 20% if you want to be by the Old Testament law. That's what you need to be giving. But the truth is, we're not under the law. <laughs> now I'm getting amen. See, I said, sometimes you're going to be amen. Other times you're going to be shh. <laughs> hey, now these could be principles. I think these could be great principles. You give 10% or more to the church, to missions, church and missions, or church. You can put missions either with the poor and needy, you can put it with the church, I don't know. You figure out that principle for yourself. Give at least 10% to the church. Give at least, how about saving up 10% for vacation? Just when you go, you need to go in the glory of the Lord. <laughs> as unto the Lord. How about saving up 10% as a, as a principle for, for, vacate, for rest, for time of celebration, for thanks God for providing a job for me and my family and a, and a home, and so we're going to go on vacation, we're going to celebrate. How about laying aside at least, at least 3% to just give away to the poor and needy, to those who are in need? Now, some say that Abraham and Jacob, they gave a tithe before the law. 
And so that's the reason we need to abide by the tithe. But those were isolated events. You want to look them up, you want to write them down. Genesis 14, Genesis 28. Abraham is giving to Melchizedek. He's given to him war, war spoils. Jacob made a vow for God's provision, and he gave. And they gave out of their own free will. Now, you might find a principle there, because both of those were ties, Both of those were tents. So you might see something before the law that was kind of a rule of thumb where people gave a tenth to different things, right? So again, there could be a rule of thumb there. There could be a, 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 an ancient principle that we see working there before the law. But in both of these instances, they gave out of their free will. It wasn't a mandate like the law. The law, the, the, the Israel had to give. They were called to give 10% to the Levites. They were called uh, to take 10% and, and uh, have a festival with it. And they were called to set aside 3% or 10% every three years to the poor and needy. This was out of Abraham's own free wills, out of Jacob's own free will. Actually, circumcision is technically before the law as well, but we call that as part of the law. In fact, remember Paul fought against circumcision in the New Testament. That's because we've been set free from the law. So circumcision was technically, it was before the law, but it was re-emphasized under the law. Same thing with the you know, the tithe, although I'm arguing that those technically weren't tithes before the law. But you see, if you want to argue that way, well, the tithe was re-emphasized under the law. And if you say we still have to tithe because it came before the law, then you say that we should also be circumcised because it became before the law. But it doesn't work like that. They were both under the law, and we have been set free from the law. We are now under the covenant of grace. Before I get to this passage, Paul says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So some people say if we don't tithe, they're under a curse. I say if you, if you, if you demand that we stay under the tithe, you're under a curse. <clears throat> Flip the script there. Because Paul says, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of law. So if you're going to abide by the law, you need to obey it all. But Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He set us free. Christ says, for Christ, or Paul says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Done deal in Jesus. We are not under the law. Can we say that together? We are not under the law. I am not under the law. Don't put yourself back under the law. So, we've established that under God's grace, there's no amount, there's no mandate on what amount to give. So, what do we do? We're under grace giving. We're under the new covenant. First thing is to decide in your heart. Are you loving God and others through your finances?
And that's what we're called to do. Love God, love people. Great commandment, great commission. Are we using our finances for that purpose? That's our mission in the world. Is your decision whether to give or not? Listen to this. Is your decision both whether to not give or also to give? We both need to ask this question, whether we're giving faithfully or we're not giving at all. Is it fear-based or is it faith-based? See, because you cannot give out of fear, not believing that the, the, the God will meet you where you're at and that God will provide for you. But you can also give out of fear because you're giving under the law. You believe you're under a curse and you're giving in the wrong motive. Is your decision whether to give or not, is it fear-based or faith-based? The New Testament says that we're to decide in our heart. Are you being wise in your giving and your finances? Are you using wisdom when you give? Decide in your heart, but also give from your heart. Give willingly. <clears throat> when they were building, in the Old Testament, when they were building the, the tabernacle, and the same thing with the temple. They had, they had what's called a, a free will offering, where people were able to just come and bring whatever they wanted. Free will. They didn't, have to, they didn't have to bring anything or they could have bring. And they brought in abundance. That's what happens when you, when you open the door to grace giving, when people start giving from the heart. Man, they had too much. Give towards God's kingdom willingly. The Macedonian church uh, pleaded with the apostle Paul to give. They wanted to give. <laughs> they asked him if they could give. Don't allow money to become an idol and, and have a hold on you. Give willfully. Give liberally. Again, Moses had to restrain the people in the, in the tabernacle giving. They gave more than enough. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, uh, verse 3, he says, For the Macedonian church gave according to their means, as I can testify. But listen to this. He says, and beyond their means. They gave beyond their means, and it was of their own accord. Not because I gave them high pressure. Not because I told them they were going to be under a curse. It was of their own accord they wanted to give. Give liberally, give willfully, give liberally, give sacrificially. Give sacrificially. You give sacrificially. Here's the thing. Some people don't give at all. They don't give. I mean, people in, in the church, they don't give at all. And, and they use that excuse. I mean, I've seen it. It's like, oh, the church is just all about money. Or I was hurt, and they always pounded about money, money, money. And so, are you giving anything? No. But I'm going to come, and I'm going to listen to the preaching, and I'm going to worship, and that's about it. But <laughs> I'm not giving anything. Some people don't give at all. And some people in life, in general, they're not, they're not generous. They don't give. It's mine, mine, mine. Some give little because they have little. We shouldn't judge. Some people have very little, and so what they give is, is, is little. Some give much. Because they have much. You know, for some, like 10%, some 10% is a big chunk. Lord, oh my goodness, you know, I'm just trying to put food on the table. And like giving 10%, that's a, that's a, 
that's a big deal, Lord. I'm really going to have to trust you here, you know? And, and, and for some, like 10% is like, it's like chump change. And so there's some people that, for them, if they're going to give sacrificially, I'm going to give 40, 50%. Because I got this much to live on, <laughs> and so I'm going to give this much. Because I can live on this much. You see what I'm saying? So some people give much because they have much. Some people give little, but they have much. Some give 10%, but for them, it's not sacrificially at all. Remember the poor widow in Mark chapter 12, she gave out of all that she had. Jesus said, I truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything that she had, all that she had to live on. Don't judge a book by its cover. Give joyfully. Paul says that God loves a cheerful giver. We should give with joy. That should be, and when we have the attitude that everything comes from God, and this is our time to give back and say, thank you, Lord, for everything that you've given me, and I'm giving back, we can give with joy. When we give, make sure whatever we're given, if we're given to a homeless person on the street, if we're given to a neighbor who's, who's on hard times, if we're, when we're given on Sunday mornings or whenever you give to the church, make sure you're giving to God. Remember Matthew 25, he says, when you go visit the, uh, when you clothe the naked, when you go visit the person in prison, when you do all these things, Jesus says, you're doing it unto me. When we give, when we give, we're giving to the Lord. And it's not an act of worship unless we have that mindset. I'm not saying I've been like, every time I've given, I've immediately thought, you know, this is unto the Lord. I would like to. But I'm saying have that mindset. It's unto the Lord that I'm, when I give, I'm giving as an act of worship. I'm giving unto the Lord. I'm giving to that person because they're made in the image of God, and God loves them, and I love them, but I'm giving unto the Lord. David said in 1 Chronicles 29, 14, he says to God, he says, For all things come from you, God, and of your own have we given you. <laughs> so it all comes from you, and what we're giving back to you belongs to you anyways. It was yours in the first place. That's how good God is. Like He gives us this, even with Israel, right? They, had to, they tithe, he says, I'll give you this much, and you just give back. 23.3%. <laughs> Almost said 10%. And God gave to us the ultimate sacrifice, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave us all. So when we give to the church, we give to others, it's giving to God. My family has decided since 2003, we give at least 10%. And that's what we've, we've done. We've set aside. I've, I, even, I, even, I even budget it. Now, give above, you know, when you give above and beyond, I know some of that doesn't come out of the budget, and God calls you to do that, but I've set it aside so that I can make sure that we're, we're, we're giving that. We've done it for 18 years. God is always picked us up. Yeah, there's been some scary times, but God has always picked us up. Always. 
And, and then the thing is, is I love, I know I'm not under the law, and I don't give as being under the law. I give because I love God's mission. I love him, and I love what he's doing in the world, and I believe in it. And so 10% is a good foundation. Do I believe that you're blessed if you give? In faith, I say yes. We are blessed by God in our giving. Proverbs 11, 24, 25, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. Again, this isn't health, wealth, and prosperity uh, gospel, but there's a blessing for giving. God gives us spiritual blessings. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, he's writing to Israel about giving their, we don't give produce, right? We don't give livestock. But there's a principle there. Give the first fruits of, of that which God has given to us and God takes care of us. Do I believe we're under a, a curse if we miss a week, Malachi chapter 3? No, we're not under the law. First of all, again, context, even, even if you're under the law, that context is talking to the Levites about their tenth of a tenth. But we're not, even under, we're not under the law, so we're not under a curse. Don't let anybody tell you you're under a curse. Now, there's issues in your heart if you're, if you're greedy, you know, if you're holding on to that which has God given you and, and, and you don't have a generous heart, but you're not under a curse. Are you robbing God if you don't give, like it says in Malachi? Maybe. Depends on your heart. Yeah, if we're withholding and we're not ministering through, through our finances, we're not giving back to God, yeah, we're robbing God. Should I miss a mortgage payment and pay tithe and offering? I will never teach that. You're not going to see me ever <laughs> call you out of faith. To, if, if, if there's something that, that you know, you're, you're struggling with to, to pay, that's, all that is between you and God. And I'm not saying one, I'm not saying hands off. I'm like washing my hands of it. No, one way or another. But it's been said, though, that people aren't in debt because they tithe. They're in debt because they don't learn to live on the 90% God uh, has given them. The world asks, what does a man own? Andrew Murray says that Jesus Christ asks, how does he use it? Here's the heart of giving. Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. So there is a principle in life, not just in money. In life in general, there is a law of sowing and reaping. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not 
reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So as we close, I want to give you two last examples of a hoarder and a savior. Jesus told a parable. He says, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, and I'm going to build larger ones, and there I will store up all the grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, those will they be. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Does that mean you can't have a savings account? No, it doesn't mean that. It's all an attitude. Remember, it's a mindset. Greediness is a mindset. It's when we're we're withholding from God by, behold, by withholding generosity. So that's the mindset of a hoarder. Here's the mindset of a Savior. Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, for your sake, he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Hmm. When it comes to our giving, may we follow the example of the Savior, not the hoarder. Everything that we do is stewardship to God. Everything that we do is stewardship to God. Everything that we do is stewardship to God. We are managers of our very lives. The Bible says that we were bought with the price. You were bought with the price. Are you still claiming your life as your own and your possessions as your own? They don't belong to us. They belong to God. The things that we have are gifts. They're gifts. Freely given by a God who loves us. So it's not drudgery. It's perspective. It's all a mindset. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do to the glory of God. That's what we're here for. I mean, that's one of my, I, I told you all the other week, that 2 Corinthians 5.17, whoever's in Christ, new creation, the old is gone, the new has come, that was my life verse. This is one of my life verses too. Whatever I do, whether I eat or drink or whatever, I want it to be for the glory of God. That's how, that's how I keep my, my, uh, my mind right and my worldview right. That's how I keep the right lenses on is like, okay, You know, people ask, should I do this, should I do that? I was like, can you do this and it be for the glory of God? Whatever we do. And so that that includes our our finances. Do for the glory of God. There's your one sermon a year on money. (laughs) Amen. It's important to God, right? 